Hey, 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 what's going on? Welcome, guys, to the Fitness Pain-Free Show. Today's topic is how the rotator cuff works during common gym exercises. We're going to be reviewing another article. This one is by Watana Prakornkol. I probably got that completely wrong. I apologize if the author is reading this, but uh, thank you for the study. It's called Direction-Specific Recruitment of Rotator Cuff Muscles During Bench Press and Row. Let's get going. So... Thank you so much for the support. I truly mean it when I say this. You allow me to do what I love for a living. So you supporting me by listening to this podcast, listening to these YouTube videos means the world to me because it allows me to do what I love for a living, right? If you don't know who I am, my name is Dan Pope. I'm a physical therapist. I'm a personal trainer and coach, and I am a meathead at heart. I love lifting weights. I love fitness. This is what I do for a living. I'm very passionate about it. This is the Fitness Pain-Free Show, where we help coaches and physical therapists like yourself get your patients out of pain and back to training. If you're watching this on YouTube, please hit that like button, comment below, and subscribe to the channel. It helps a lot. If you're listening via podcast, please, if you get a chance, rate and review. I greatly appreciate it. Now to business. So why this study? When I first read this study, it was mind-blowing to me. Right? I thought it was incredibly important, so I think it's important that I just share this information to you. It's really important from a rehab and a training perspective to understand where we're putting stress when we're doing a given exercise. Okay, The rotator cuff is no different. Right, If I have, let's say, an Achilles tendinopathy and I want to get that thing stronger and I want to get out of pain, I need to know what movements are going to stress the area. Right, Calf raises. Cuff is no different. All right? Here's the thing. The rotator cuff is commonly injured. Rotator cuff tendinopathy, rotator cuff tears, rotator cuff strain injuries, whatever you want to call it. I see these very frequently and they commonly pop up in the strength and fitness world, right? So we have to learn how do we target this structure? Super important from a rehab and strength perspective, right? It becomes even more important when you think about it from a post-op perspective. Initially, we need to learn how to protect this area and how do we ramp up over the course of time right? Also, how do we unload this area when we need this to calm down? Let's say I'm coming into um, a physical therapist's office and my shoulders really bother me, okay? We've kind of determined that, let's say it's infraspinatus or supraspinatus, it's irritated. What movement should we temporarily avoid and which one should we kind of push because they're not going to target that area, right? The last piece is um, and a little bit of spoiler alert because this is going to give things away. Um, when people come into your office, patient says, hey, when I bench press, it really hurts. But when I row, it feels fine, right? Overhead press kills, but pull-ups are A-OK. This is actually going to give us a little bit of subjective information about which tissue is aggravated, all right? And a little bit of a spoiler alert, but the rotator cuff does have a uh, direction-specific nature to it. So doing something like a cable row... Uh, versus a cable bench press, different parts of the rotator cuff will be more active in one movement versus the other. All right. So, uh, why else do we care about this? Well, from a function and specificity perspective, it's very, very important, right? So, can I just do sideline dumbbell external rotation as my only rehab exercise for the rest of my life? Well, you know, for some folks, that might be a okay. It might get them out of pain. They may be fine, right? Um, but if we want to progress the challenge, are there better ways to do that, right? Do I go from a dumbbell external rotation to a bench press or something along those lines, right? 
And also, what is the true function of the rotator cuff? Well, we kind of believe that's more for dynamic control or keeping the ball centered in the socket while we do motions with the shoulder. All right. And if we understand the concepts we're going to talk about from this study, uh, we can be pretty good about uh, targeting our rehab and training. Right. Um, the other piece is that our return to training protocols are going to reflect the direction specific nature of the rotator cuff, right? So if my rotator cuff works a lot when I do a bench press, let's say the back part of my rotator cuff works a lot when I do a bench press, then that's going to be important from a rehab perspective because initially I can't go crazy with that movement and then over the course of time I can ramp it up, right? The other reason why it's important is because it allows us to have some good training modifications, right? So if I have an irritation to a very specific part of my rotator cuff, that's going to give me a little bit of information about what I can continue to push while I allow the other um, parts of the rotator cuff to kind of cool down, relax, um, and I continue working towards my fitness goals without irritating the area further. So why else are they doing this study? So EMG activity of the rotator cuff during bench press versus rowing, we want to figure out which muscles are going to be more active. Does the bench press make the front of the rotator cuff more work more or the backside of the rotator cuff work more? And does that change when we change the motion? So we have a little bit of prior research on the subject, but it was looking at prone flexion versus prone extension, right? So someone laying on their stomach, arm off the edge, doing flexion or extension. And there was a direction specific activation, right? But does this actually occur in a bench press in a row? Those movements are pretty similar, uh, but does it actually change? And the other piece is that does that change with varying load? So if we make the movement harder, more challenging, does that increase the EMG, right? Uh, and the last piece is that there's a bit mixed prior evidence. Uh, there's a trend in other studies towards a supraspinatus and infraspinatus being greater recruited during press and flexion movements over the subscapularis. However, these studies lacked statistical analysis, so this study wanted to look at that a little bit better. All right. So what do they do in this uh, study here? They had 15 subjects. It was 10 males, 5 females, aged 21.9, plus or minus 3 years. And I think this is important to note. Um, the subjects had no pain or prior injury. They were also assessed before the study, so they took the subjects through a full range of motion. They did maximal isometric testing, and they determined that nothing hurt. Now, this is important because there might be a difference in uh, rotator cuff activation when pain is present. We know that pain changes the game a little bit. These folks had no pain, all right? So when you have someone that's in front of you with some sort of rotator cuff irritation, uh, the results may not be the same, okay? We don't know that yet. It hasn't been studied. Um, where did the electric, uh, electrodes go and what did they use? So they were using indwelling or fine wire EMGs for some muscles and surface electrodes for other muscles. Now, this is something that um, I initially didn't know much about, but generally speaking, you're looking for those fine wire electrodes on smaller, deeper muscles, especially when there's another muscle that lies on top of uh, the muscle you're trying to target, as well as moving muscles. So if I have a surface electrode over, let's say, some part of my rotator cuff, and I move my arm overhead, and all of a sudden the electrode is no longer over the rotator cuff, that's not really going to assess whether or not that muscle is working well, right? We're looking at a couple different muscles. So in muscles where that occurs, that the fine wire electrode would be a bit better, for muscles that are a little bit more superficial and they don't move very much when I bring my arm overhead or bring it back into extension, we can just use one of those surface electrodes. And which muscles were they looking at? Well, they're looking at the, the rotator cuff predominantly. So the supraspinatus, infraspinatus, and subscapularis, unfortunately no teres minor, but also the lower trapezius, serratus anterior, 
Lat Dorsi, as well as Peck Major and a couple others. So what else do they do? So they utilize the bench press in the row, and it's important to understand that they didn't do an actual bench press with a barbell, okay? And they didn't do like a bent over row or anything with a barbell either. So you have to take that with a grain of salt. What they utilized was a seated press machine and a seated row machine. They utilize a two-second eccentric or lowering phase to the press and a two-second concentric phase, right? They also rep maxed, maxed these individuals to see how much they can utilize. And then when they were um, measuring EMG, they did it 20% of their max, 50% of their max, 70% of the max to see if there's a difference over the course of in different intensities, right? And they also ran the same exact um, test with prone extension and flexion. And basically in this image here, I'm laying on my stomach with my arm off the edge of the table, and they had people either flex straight overhead or extend straight back and measure muscle EMG. So what were the results? So when they took a look at the bench press versus the row, there was more activation of the infraspinatus and supraspinatus in the bench press group over the subscapularis. And if you look at the row, it's exactly the opposite. There's more activation of the subscapularis in the row group over the infra and supra, specifically over the infra, okay? So if you look at the muscles that were active in the bench press in order from most recruited to least recruited, for the bench press, you'll see number one is infraspinatus, followed by serratus anterior, followed by supraspinatus, followed by pec major, followed by low trap, then delt, finally, subscap, upper trap, and lat. And those EMGs are actually quite low, right? So a couple thoughts here. So for one, we're probably getting some good stress to that infra by doing a bench press, right? Second of all, it looks like we're really not targeting the subscap very much. The other part that I thought was kind of interesting is that when we, you know, in the powerlifting world, powerlifting community, everyone talks about how important having big, strong lats are for the bench press, right? Now, the people doing this chest press, A, weren't doing a bench press, B, probably weren't coached to try to tuck their shoulder blades back and down, but the lats were not very active whatsoever during this movement. And it kind of makes sense. If your lats were super active during a bench press, that would eliminate the ability for your, your shoulder to flex. It would fight against the ability of your shoulder to flex. Uh, so that's a bit of a, a tangent there. But uh, what I will say is that your lats probably don't do a ton in the bench press. Okay. And this study supported that. Now, if you look at the row from the most recruited muscles to the least recruited muscles, on the very top, you have the lats. That makes perfect sense, followed by the low trap, which is phenomenal. If you're looking for a good low trap exercise, rows fit the bill. And the third exercise, subscap, right? So the anterior portion of the rotator cuff, very active. Next, upper trap, followed by the delts followed by the supraspinatus, which it looks like the supraspinatus is a bit more active in rowing than the infraspinatus is, okay? After supra came serratus anterior, then came pec major, which makes sense. It's an antagonist muscle of the row. And last was infraspinatus. So infraspinatus was not very active at all in a row, but very, very, very active in a bench press. And if you look at these this chart from left to right, it's it's flipped, it's opposite, right? So infra is at the very top of the bench press and at the very bottom of the row, okay? Subscap is flipped, very top of the row or close to it and pretty close to the bottom of the bench press. So 
when they are comparing a bench press versus prone flexion, which are similar movements, but a little bit different. Okay. During the flexion exercise, the deltoid, upper trapezius, and lower trapezius were more active, while the pec major was less active than during the bench press exercise. And that makes sense. When you're on your stomach and lifting straight overhead, the pec major muscle fibers are not in a very good position to produce force, but in bench press, obviously, they are. Okay. The other piece is that there was no difference in rotator cuff recruitment. So with prone flexion, again, we had a lot of infra and supra and low subscap. In the row versus prone extension group, during the extension exercise, lower trapezius was less active than during the row exercise. So again, if we want to get a little more low trapezius when we're choosing exercises, we should probably choose a row. And there's also no difference in rotator cuff recruitment. So in prone extension, just like the row, we're going to have more subscap and less infra and less supra. Okay, so what are these uh, conclusions that we draw from this? So for one, activation of the rotator cuff seems to be direction specific, right? So if I do rows or if I do shoulder extension, I'm getting more anterior cuff work. If I'm doing bench press or I'm doing some sort of prone flexion, I have more posterior or superior cuff, right? All right, so why is this potentially? And again, this is theoretical. We're just guessing based on our understanding of biomechanics, all right? So it probably happens uh, via something called force coupling and dynamic stability. So if you're a physical therapist, you've probably learned this already. But when I bring my arm overhead or when I'm pressing something overhead, let's say I'm doing standing scaption. I have a dumbbell at my side. And I'm raising it up to shoulder level. When I initiate this motion, my, my deltoid is going to help bring my arm overhead, right? So the thing about the deltoid is that it helps bring the arm overhead but it also imparts a superiorly directed force of the humerus. So it pushes the humerus up in the socket. And the job of the supraspinatus is to hug the humerus into the socket. And this is what dynamic stability is. When I bring my arm overhead, the deltoid is going to help my bring, bring my arm overhead. It's also going to pull the humerus superiorly. The rotator cuff is going to hug the ball into the socket and make sure that that ball is not banging around in different structures around the shoulder joint. Okay. So the same thing goes for the rotator cuff during pulling and pressing motions. So when I'm doing a pulling motion, the EMG of the latissimus dorsi is high. We just showed that, all right? This is the prime mover during pulling and row exercises. So from an arthrokinematic perspective, so within the joint, you know, as it comes to movement, excuse me, movement, the lats are going to pull the humeral head posteriorly on the glenoid. So they're trying to pull the ball backwards off the socket, right? So what happens is the rotator cuff is going to counter this, and the part of the rotator cuff that counters this is going to be the subscapularis. So the EMG, like we saw already, is going to be high during a row. The subscapularis is a dynamic stabilizer of the glenohumeral joint. It's going to contract with equal force to the lats to pull the ball anteriorly and stabilize that ball in the socket. Okay? Now, the same thing is going on probably during the bench press. So when we bench press, the pecs EMG is high, okay? At least in this study, delts wasn't as high, but let's say the pecs, very high. Those are the prime movers during bench press. Arthrokinematically, the pecs and the delts are going to pull the humeral head forward or anteriorly on the glenoid, right? If we don't have the rotator cuff pulling the ball into the socket, the ball might pull forward, bloop, right off the socket, okay? 
So what does the infraspinatus do? The infraspinatus sits in the back of the shoulder joint, and it's going to fire as a dynamic stabilizer of the glenohumeral joint. So when the pecs and delts are trying to pull the ball anteriorly off the front of the socket, the EM, excuse me, the infraspinatus is firing to pull the ball posteriorly in the socket and hug that ball into the socket to make sure it's not bumping around, right? And that's probably going to be very important for the health of the shoulder joint. So if I have, let's say, an overpowering of the prime movers, like the pecs or the delts, and I'm getting too much motion of the ball in the socket, uh, A, that shows me that my infraspinatus is probably not strong enough to handle those forces, right? Uh, B, it could mean that the, that portion of the muscle is dysfunctional. Uh, but at the end of the day, if I'm having pain in that area, I probably want to make sure that I strength train it and eventually get to the point where I can start tolerating things like bench press again so I continue training the function of those muscles. Okay. So what are our clinical takeaways? I actually think there's a bunch of really good clinical takeaways from this study. So for one, we can target specific cuff tissues with this knowledge, right? So let's say I have a tendinopathy or I have a, a cuff tear and I want to make sure that I strength train a specific muscle. Let's say that's infraspinatus and supraspinatus. I know, yeah, I can do scaption. I can do sideline dumbbell external rotation. I know those uh, movements are great for isolating those tissues, but I can also do bench press, right? Or prone flexion. I know those motions are also going to have high EMG of those tissues, right? Which is awesome. The other piece is that we know how to unload certain structures. So this is going to be really obvious in post-op. So if I have an infraspinatus tear or supraspinatus tear, which is pretty common, I have to be really careful about introducing pressing over the course of time just because I know that's going to stress those tissues. And stress is a good thing. We don't have to avoid it, but we have to be careful with the introduction of it for sure, right? What else does this information help me with? Well, I think it helps me with diagnosis. I can't tell you how many times I've had a person in front of me say, my shoulder hurts in the gym during bench press or overhead press, and it doesn't bother me during pulling exercises, right? And one of the first thing that goes off in my head is like, okay, that might be the infraspinatus or supraspinatus. Those are going to be um, tissues that are very active during those motions. When I row, not so active, okay? So probably one of those tissues or tendons creating some of that pain, all right? I don't know for certain, but I do think that's uh, – a little piece that can help us, right? The other thing is this, having this information allows us to create smart progressions for our patients. So initially, let's say that I do have a little infra um, tear or I have an infra tendinopathy that's painful. I may want to isolate that movement or excuse me, that uh, um, tendon by doing sideline dumbbell external rotation, but eventually I want to integrate more functional movements. So I start with that sideline dumbbell external rotation, but I progress into pressing over the course of time. Right, And what's good about introducing pressing is it's training the true function of the rotator cuff. Like we said before, is dynamic control. The other thing is that um, we learn a lot about returning to training. So there are important implications for return to bench press or return to row. And like we said before, if I have a, a post-op infraspinatus repair, I'm probably going to get back to more rowing muscles, or excuse me, rowing exercises in the gym as opposed to pressing exercises, right? I have to be a little more cautious with introduction of pressing. But over the course of time, I want that pressing because it's going to get my cuff stronger and allow me to do what I want to do in the gym, obviously, okay? 
The other thing is it really helps a lot with training modifications. So when folks are having a lot of pain with pressing, usually I try to find a press modification allows them to train with minimal pain, but oftentimes we just can't do that. So I'll switch from a pressing exercise over to a rowing exercise, okay? And you can flip obviously if the subscap is kind of implicated. Uh, at the end of the day, when someone comes in for physical therapy, they still wanna continue training as much as possible. So if we can continue allowing them to do a whole bunch of exercises that don't overstrain a given area, they're going to be pretty happy and still work towards their uh, fitness goals, at least in some small part, right, which is really helpful from a psychological standpoint. So that's it, guys. Thank you very much. I'm not lying when I tell you that your support allows me to continue doing what I'm passionate about in my life, right? So if you're looking for the citation to this article, it's right there. I'm not going to butcher this author's last name again. Uh, I just want to thank you again for your support. If you are viewing this on YouTube, please give this video a thumbs up. I would love to hear comments on this article, your thoughts on it. Uh, please subscribe. It helps me a ton. And you can also stay up to date with newest videos that are coming out. And if you're listening to this as, as a podcast on the podcast variant, please rate and review. Helps me a ton. Thank you very much. I'll talk to you later.